This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, The Looting of America, How Wall Street's Game of Fantasy Finance Destroyed Our Jobs, Pensions, and Prosperity, and What We Can Do About It, our guest today, Les Leopold, debunks the prevailing media myths that blame low-income home buyers who got in over their heads, people who ran up too much credit card debt, and government interference with free markets. Leopold co-founded and currently directs two nonprofit educational organizations, the Labor Institute and the Public Health Institute, is now helping to form an alliance between the United Steelworker Unions and the Sierra Club. Les Leopold, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, very nice to have you with us. How are you doing today? Everything running Everything's all right? Everything's fine, thank all you. Right, very good. And and you're in Maryland, aren't you? Well, today, yeah, I'm yeah. visiting my cousin. Ah, well, excellent. Now, Tell me, who's who's to blame for the uh, financial crash we're in right now? Is it is it me or is is it the government? Neither. Okay. Uh, this problem goes back to the mid nineteen uh, seventies when our country embarked on this grand experiment, and the experiment was really had uh, two fundamental features. It was uh, let's see what happens. Uh, well, let's see if we can unleash the economy if we do two things. One. Let's get rid of the New Deal controls that we had on the financial community. Let's let's let the free market reign within the financial sector to stir up more innovation. And then, two, let's get rid of these very steep progressive income taxes on the super wealthy so that money could accumulate in the hands of the investor class and that they would invest it in uh, real uh, goods and services in our economy, and that would create a boom so that all boats would rise. Yeah. It didn't work out as planned. What happened was that actually real wages of the average worker, after you count for inflation, has gone down 18% uh, since that time. But money really gushed into the hands of a very few. Uh, one statistic that I just can't get over is in 1970, before the experiment, uh, the top 100 CEOs on average earned $45 for every $1 earned by the average worker, 45 to 1. Guess what it was by 2006. Mike, you keep track. Of I this. do. I know. I. I. I, I, I well, I'm going to let you. <laughs> do, I'm going to let you do it last. Did you I, cheat? I, I did you do cheat. And look in the book. No, no. Well, I did. I know it's in. It's. It's somewhere around 200 something. Time. Yeah, 1723 oh. to one. Oh my gosh. We did, this, we did some. Uh, uh, wow, it's uh, gone up a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did some research for the uh, for the looting of America. Oh well, my god. When all that money was in the hands of a few, here's where it gets interesting. Uh, when it could no longer find the kind of investments it wanted in the real economy, it started to race towards Wall Street, which was smart enough to create new kinds of financial instruments, which I call fantasy finance uh, instruments. The idea, uh, uh, they created, uh, they found a way to package a lot of uh, risky debt in such a way that they thought they could take the uh, risk out of it and then uh, give people a higher interest rate. This would be, you know, to the investment class, a higher interest rate than they could get anywhere else, like in normal bonds and in, in uh, government bonds or in uh, uh, corporate bonds. So money raced into Wall Street, and they couldn't get enough of this debt uh, uh, to chop up and sell. 
and they wanted more and more and more of it. In fact, the demand for subprime mortgages came from Wall Street, not the other way around. They didn't care what the uh, uh, mortgage person uh, was doing in the field. They didn't care if the uh, mortgagee you know, had an income. They didn't even care if they, they existed. They just wanted those mortgages to package, chop up, and sell. This was the most lucrative enterprise that Wall Street had ever come up with in its entire history because they got a fee, a real fat fee, every time they created and packaged and sold these instruments. So they had this conveyor belt. They actually came out with ways to create new instruments that were bets upon these bets. So they didn't even, they could leverage them up by creating instrument on top of instrument. Uh, and they, that's why $300 billion of subprime uh, uh, bad loans, which is about what it is, turned into several trillion dollars of toxic assets because there were assets piled one on top of the other on these risky uh, uh, credit card debt, subprime debt, et cetera. So the consumer, yeah, made some bad choices, but that's not what caused the problem. That money was being pushed on them. That money was they, Wall Street needed those securities to play its game. I want to go back. I just want to repeat that because we kind of, I think there was a lot of chatter over $1,700 for every $1. No, no. $1,723. Uh, the average 100 CEOs pay as of 2006 versus the average worker. Right. Okay. And, uh, and, the big, and, and we have found out uh, that in his, through history that when you have an extreme distribution of income, you get the conditions for a fantasy finance casino on Wall Street. In 1929 was the last time we had a terrible distribution of income. And we learned during the Great Depression that if we compressed income, it was healthier for our economy. The 50s and the 60s had an extremely compressed income distribution, largely because we had a progressive taxation in in, the 1950s under that great radical Dwight D. Eisenhower. the marginal tax rate, in other words, the next dollar you earned after about $3 million in today's dollar, that next dollar was taxed at 91%. Right. Yeah, there were some loopholes and such, but we had a very compressed distribution of income, and we had a much healthier economy then than now. And also, uh, and now that, that uh, rate is somewhere in the, what is it, in, uh, on that on that. When well, we got to the upper range. 15% on capital gains. It's 30, 30. 5, 7%. It's, it's yeah, actually, 35% it cut- now. So it was 91% uh, in the 50s, and now it's 35%. And Barack Obama had proposed raising the tax on, on those on that money 3 or 4%. And, yeah, I believe it's 39 And everybody on Wall Street went completely nuts, called him a socialist for raising right. 4%. Well, I'm a Dwight D. Eisenhower socialist. I yeah. guess. The <laughs> yeah. other Republican that I'm, I'm starting to admire is Teddy Roosevelt, because uh, I, I don't know if you saw today's news, but Goldman Sachs is going to have a record year in profits and yeah. bonuses. Now, that's pretty interesting, because since we bailed out the entire financial sector, including them. Uh, in I, would say, I, I would say especially them, Les. Yeah. yeah, they did very well. But, you know, J.P. Morgan's not far behind. Yeah. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt uh, busted the trust. And right now we have institutions on Wall Street that are still too big to fail. They can take lots of risk. They're still going to take the risk because, and pe- uh, because there's no reason not to since we're gonna, uh, we've already proven that they're too big to fail. And what Teddy would have done was bust them up so they are small enough to fail. 
and that's something that we really should be thinking about seriously. Now, now we, we gave this money, uh, essentially, this bailout of ours, with, with absolutely no strings attached to it, is at least the way I read it. Is, is that pretty much correct? Well, yeah, well, there are some strings, but not nearly the kind of strings that, that we had been hoping for. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when we put together the looting of America, what we were concentrating on were the kinds of reforms that would dramatically change Wall Street. On, on May 2nd, uh, uh, President Obama gave a speech that was very close to uh, uh, some of those themes. He was saying, look, we have to make Wall Street smaller so the best and brightest aren't lured by these ridiculous salaries and then end up going into, you know, moving money around kind of jobs instead of into things like, you know, helping us to solve our energy problem, our medical issues, uh, going into education, science, et cetera. Instead, you know, these people, are, you know, mathematicians are going into uh, Wall Street because they can make billions, uh, millions of dollars. So he was going there, but that required uh, really putting a lid on Wall Street salaries. Uh, you know, what we proposed in Looting America was pretty simple. We said, look, the entire sector is on welfare. The whole sector, that some banks are doing well and others aren't, is irrelevant. The whole sector is propped up by the taxpayer, and some estimates are as high as $14 trillion if you count all the guarantees. Yeah. Okay, so we put all that money into it. Let's put a president's wage cap into place. Nobody on Wall Street should earn more than the president of the United States, which is $400,000. Give them some benefits, too, until unemployment comes down below 5%. What we forget is that this financial crisis just caused havoc in the real economy. Right now, there are 29 million Americans who are either unemployed or uh, forced into part-time work. That's a jobless rate co compiled by the BLS of 17%. Right. Uh, that we get it down in a hurry if we put that kind of wage cap in place. Yeah, this is this uh, so-called recovery, as it uh, stands today. Uh, well, Wall Street obviously has bounced back. Uh, big time, where the Dow now is uh, pushing 10,000 again, and and all indications, well, not all, but mo a lot of indications seem to be it'll continue to rise. But it has been a, uh, a, a unique in recoveries uh, in that it's been a jobless recovery for for the hey, economy. Look, you give you give me 14 trillion dollars, yeah. and you'll see some bounce in my step as well. Yeah, <laughs> but that 14 trillion dollars is not translating uh, very quickly into. Uh, uh, the kinds of investments that will lead to uh, sustainable uh, jobs for our people. You know, when you cut through, I mean, you know, all this uh, talk about the stock market is wonderful, but the bottom line in any economy is you have to provide for the well-being of your people, yeah. and you have to provide sustainable jobs for those who want them. And there's 29, pe 29 million people who need them right now. We have no idea of where those jobs are going to come from. You know, the thing about Wall Street, it just it, it, uh, this, is, uh, this crash uh, has, uh, it just brings the whole thing home to me. Is This is a rigged casino. The, the big players are, the, are essentially the casino operators, and all of us are the suckers who walk in there with the big fl with the, uh, to the big flashing lights and, and the slot machines. Uh, these guys make it make money on both ends. If uh, if the economy goes bad, they bet against the economy. They make money. Uh, if it goes better, they make money going the other way. They make money going both ways, and, and that's kind of what happened with AIG. AIG was backing bets on both ends of the economic spectrum, and they got caught. 
and we had to bail them out. But going well, back AIG to actually, AIG actually was up to something uh, really amazing. You know, there were all these toxic, potentially toxic assets out there, these risky fantasy finance things that I was describing before. Right. What AIG realized, or, or one of their units, uh, turned into a money machine because they said, look, we are going to insure yeah. those toxic assets. And because we're AAA rated, we don't have to put up any collateral. So they were getting, in a sense, insurance fees. They can't call it insurance. They're really, that's why they use the word credit default swap. If you call it insurance, then it's regulated. If you call it credit default swap, it's not regulated. Okay. And today, by the way, it's still not regulated. Anyway, I was, was going to bring they, that up, by the way. Yeah, yes. They brought, so they, they insured $454 billion worth of the risky stuff. And when the stuff went south, they didn't have the money to pay for it. We bailed them out. And then we paid for it. It, it, it's absolutely outrageous. But yes, uh, look. We, we're still um, not, there's still no regulations on this. No, no re regulations on derivatives, no regulations on credit default swaps. And a matter of fact, it's outrageous what's going on right now is our money is being used by the banking industry to hire lobbyists to make sure that the most lucrative derivatives and the most dangerous ones will not get regulated in the future. The plain vanilla stuff that gets traded on, on markets, they don't care about that. They care about the specialty stuff, which is so complicated that nobody can understand them, but very, very lucrative. They don't want those touched. I, I, I heard off the record that uh, a bunch of traders have gotten together and are going to put some of their bonus money into a fee, into a, a fund, to hire special lobbies to concentrate on that, make sure they're not the, uh, regulated. And they haven't been regulated yet. We're speaking with Leslie Apold. The book is The Looting of America, How Wall Street's Game of Fantasy Finance Destroyed Our Jobs, Our pensions and prosperity and what we can do about it and what we can do about it now, now you think obama is doing anything about this what's your impression of how things are going so far with his administration well i think you know just to concentrate on the financial side is it seems to me that he says the right thing but he's afraid to take a strong step because of quote-unquote investor confidence they are so concerned about getting the economy kind of up and running and showing some progress by 2010 that they're afraid to do the they're, – they're, they're willing to let some outrageous things happen between now and then because uh, they're afraid uh, there will be a, uh, a downturn in the stock market. So he opposes these wage caps. Instead, they put this, uh, you know, Pazar – in, in place, and you know, who's got a, he's about as effective as our Nicholas was in Russia. You know, he, he, he's he, he, first thing he did was exempt this guy Andrew J. Hall, who's going to get a hundred million dollars from Citigroup, and he's an oil he's an oil speculator. Now Citigroup is going to sell off that unit, so the Pazar is not going to have anything to do with it. I mean, so they're afraid to come down hard, uh, uh, except maybe on you know places like you know uh, Citigroup and GM where we have you know, a huge uh, amount of uh, uh, influence over it. He doesn't want to do things uh, uh, that, will, that, that go along with what he's been talking about. He's not shrinking the size of Wall Street. He's not uh, lowering the pay. They seem to be very cowed by, quote-unquote, investor sentiment, hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, I mean, do you, what, do you think this is uh, a Barack Obama's gut reaction to this, or do you think that he's surrounded himself with people who were really instrumental in constructing the, the present-day Wall Street uh, and are not going to let that um, fall apart? Uh, I think more the latter, but I think, they sh I think they have a common fear, which is we came so close 
to falling into a Great Depression, that they, they're running scared. Yeah. Uh, and when people run scared, uh, unless things are really bad or they have tremendous vision, they're going to opt for whatever's working at the moment. So nothing terribly bad is happening at the moment except there are 29 million people who are unemployed or underemployed. They don't want to rock the boat too much. So you're not going to see the draconian wage caps, which I think uh, uh, would be uh, very popular uh, with the American with the American public. Actually. Well, that's that's the thing that's so striking in all of this. Uh, almost any of the reforms that you talk about in your book that we're talking about right now are very popular with the American public. The only place they're not popular is about you know a few square miles in in New York City, and in Washington, and Washington. And yeah, and that's it. And I think that what's so distressing is uh, one of the largest sectors of the economy. What, 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 what this whole thing says to me, it's like a big civics lesson. And I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but who really runs the country? And who really runs the country are the people with the money. And that's evident. They can do anything, everything wrong, and we will bail them out. They have, uh, they have socialized costs, privatized profit. And we and and even when they're obviously wrong, even when they're blatantly uh, uh, malfeasant in their way that they handled all of these things, uh, it didn't matter. They're criminally responsible, and it didn't matter. Yeah, it's it, it, it's very tough to swallow. You know, I, I think we're at a crossroads, um, and I hope we haven't you know gone down the wrong path in an ir- irretrievable direction. You know that we can't come back, but. You know, we're facing what I call a, a billionaire bailout society. Yeah. Uh, we've allowed a billionaire class to emerge. Uh, I, you know, I, I did some math the last time we looked at it. The top 400 people, top 400, have a combined net worth of $1.23 trillion. That's 400 people. If, if, they, if we had a progressive tax system and even a wealth tax and reduced their wealth to only a hundred million dollars each, which you know, I think we could handle. You could handle that, right? A hundred million dollars each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There would still be about one point one nine trillion dollars available. That would be enough money. Just catch this. That would be enough money to provide every kid in this country free tuition for a two-year, four-year school, graduate school, forever, in perpetuity. We could endow every public university and college in perpetuity to provide free higher education for our people. Huh. That's how skewed things have gotten. We, we knew better. We knew better in the Great Depression. We knew better during World War II. We knew better in the 50s and the 60s. And then we, then we let it go. And we, we were under the illusion that if you deregulated the economy almost completely, it would just run like clockwork. And what we got was, A, a crash, and B, the most uh, lopsided distribution of income ever. And we have, I think we have no choice but to cure that. that if I were to, I would, I, w- I would not worry so much about all the deregulation and regulation of, of finance and whether Wall Street's doing this or that. I would concentrate on two things. Are we shrinking the size of Wall Street, and are we doing something about the obscene distribution of wealth? Yeah. Those are the two indicators for our long-term economic health. If we don't do something about those two things, we're, we are going to be in sorry shape for generations to come. Well, just uh, practically speaking, what would you do right now? Well, if, if you were given just one action that you could put through uh, Congress, one measure, 
uh, or, or or one action taken by the president, what what would you do? What would be the first? Well, the first thing I would do is a windfall profit tax on Wall Street, ninety okay. percent, saying, "Look, we you're on welfare. Yeah, some of you are going to make some of you are going to make money. We're going to take ninety percent of it back." That's the first thing I would do. Okay. Then the second thing I would do is you know to to close these gaps on health care and uh, 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 energy policy and whatnot. I would do a, immediately a ten percent windfall profit tax on all income above $10 million, right off the top. Nobody, but nobody could complain about that. You're, making, you're reporting $10 million a year, you can pay 10% more. Uh, those two things would send a signal that you meant business and that we're heading into an era of shared responsibility and a shared sense of our country instead of everyone out for themselves. What, what about, a, uh, I've heard uh, Tom Hartman and others talk about a, uh, a, a tax on uh, transactions on uh, t- um, um, what am I trying to say? Wall Street. That, that's a good one, too. We have that in the looting of America. Yeah. Uh, it, that would help shrink the size of Wall Street. You'd explain explain what I, I didn't do it very well. Uh, for every transaction, every uh, stock transaction, every... Yeah, I, I would do it at, uh, when it hit a certain threshold, yeah. uh, not, not mom-and-pop stock transactions, but large fi- financial uh, sales transactions, all the derivatives, all the currency transactions... Because the way they make money, they flip these things constantly, right? Like right, and there's, con- no, there's no tax on doing so. So if there was just uh, a few... And, yeah. and that would move money from Wall Street into the real economy via the government. It would be an excellent way, and would also slow down certain speculative activities, which, uh, you know, nobody's yet proven that these, you know, uh, these, these activities that make all this money on Wall Street actually provide value to our economy. Yeah. Yes, they they, they make money, but are they making new money, or are they just transferring it from the rest of us? Well, I'll tell you, this is – we could go on, honestly, Les. I wish we had a lot more time because we're just really starting to scratch the surface on this. Uh, but uh, we, we've run out of time here. Um, um, tell us that there's some political uh, uh, momentum in the direction that we, you and I would like to see this thing uh, take. Uh, tell, us, tell us something good on well, our actually, way actually, I, I think one of the problems – the reason I wrote this book – yeah. Uh, the looting of America was so that the average person with no financial background could begin to engage in these discussions. Yeah. I think one thing, one problem we've had is a lot of the progressive community has not had its eye on this prize. Mm-hmm. We're involved in our issues, our kind of organizing, et cetera, et cetera. And we just ignored the fact that the economy was turning into this huge financial uh, operation. And we have to be able to go at it. And I think once uh, the public has more tools, and I think this book is one of them, they're going to feel more confident. I mean, the goal is to empower people to speak out. And when we start speaking out on this, I think, you know, the political system will become a little bit more sensitive to the fact that they have to do something instead of just accept uh, Wall Street's, uh, uh, you know, lobbying money. Well, this is a good first step. I, one statistic that I heard recently was that the United States now has the was the single greatest dis, uh, disparity between rich and poor of any industrial country in the world, and among the worst of any non-industrial country in the world. Yeah, that's that, our distinction. And that is quite a distinction. Well, the book is, this is the way we get started. The book is The Looting of America, How Wall Street's Game of Fantasy Finance Destroyed Our Jobs, Pensions, and Prosperity, and What We Can Do About It. Thank you. Les, we, Les Leopold, thank you for being here on uh, Weekly Signals. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. 
And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.